0: Well, Saints, we're on uh, message two of this conference, and uh, I want to uh, share the overall title with you again. I think it's very important. And the overall title is Noah, Daniel, and Job, Patterns of Living an Overcoming Life on the Line of Life to Fulfill the Economy of God. And in the last session, you know, just in case you weren't there, or even if you were there, um, we need to pick up this principle. You know, uh, in the last message, on the outline, it says that the Bible of 66 books is for only one thing, and that's for God in Christ, by the Spirit, to dispense himself into us, to be our life, our nature, and our everything, so that we may live Christ and express Christ. Then it says, I love this, this should be the principle that governs our life, the principle that governs our life. Well, saints, um, I would just like to um, just read a little bit, just a little bit from from this book, The Vision of the Lord's Recovery, Elder Training, book, uh, book two. It's at the very end of the book. I encourage you to read this. Uh, I'll just read a little bit. And when I read this again, I'm just so thankful that Brother Lee left this with us for the future. Here's what he says. The entire Bible was written according to the principle of the triune God wrought into his redeemed people as their enjoyment. The application of this principle in interpreting any portion of the New Testament is endless then your message using any portion will be greatly enriched your message and your ministry will be different there will be an intrinsic principle within and, within and governing whatever you speak teach and preach this is my burden then he says this merely to read the lines of a life study to pick up some points and titles for our message does not work. You have not been constituted with such a principle, and this principle has not become a vision to you. You may have the eyes to read the Bible and the mind to understand it, but you do not have the key to open it. You need the key. Now, now let, let me go on here. Um, our brother says this, He says, some people say that it is not necessary to come and listen to me because I always preach and teach the same thing. I totally agree with this statement. Listen to this. What I serve is always, and this is in quotation marks, what I serve is always American beef, American beef. This beef is cooked and served by me in many ways. Sometimes it is in the style of steak. Sometimes in the style of a hamburger. And sometimes I serve this beef in the Chinese way of stewing. Whatever I serve is beef. Beef is my key. And I have nothing but beef. What is this beef, in quotation marks? The processed triune God. This is the beef. Some Chinese cooks boast that they have 20 ways to cook certain things. By the Lord's mercy, I can boast to these cooks that I have hundreds of ways to cook my, quote, beef because I have put up more than 2,000 messages. Every message is a different way of cooking the same thing. The triune God being wrought into his redeemed people. And then he said, this this is the key. If you have the key, you will eventually say that every page of the Bible is the same. He goes on, and I'll conclude with this. Uh, You need this basic principle of this vision to see that the triune God is the very essence And should be the very essence of every message that we put out. Only this serves God's purpose. Only this keeps us from being led astray. And only this can keep us in oneness from today through eternity. It's really a remarkable, remarkable statement. And, uh, you know, thank the Lord. This is what we aspire to do uh, in the Lord's work. We want to. Always use this key, use this principle, and live by this principle. Now, saints, the reason why I introduced uh, this message in that way is that I want to emphasize again that uh, you have Noah, Daniel, and Job. And again, we may wonder, you know, why, why these three people? How could Job be put in the category... Uh, with Noah and Daniel. Well, the context, like I pointed out in the first message, is that God was bringing all his judgments upon Jerusalem. And um, what he said was this, and this is where Noah, Daniel, and Job come in. This is in Ezekiel 14, verses 14 and 20. The Lord said this through Ezekiel, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, that's Jerusalem, they should save but themselves by their righteousness. That's verse 14. Then verse 20, though, I'm sorry, verse 14, let me read that again. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in the midst of it, they would deliver only their own souls by their righteousness, declares the Lord Jehovah. Then verse 20, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the midst of it, as I live, declares the Lord Jehovah, they could not deliver even a son or daughter. They would deliver only their own souls by their righteousness. Well, saints, we saw in the first message, and I want, I want us to, is to be up to date with us, that the lives of Noah, Daniel, and Job reveal the triune God, dispensing himself into his chosen people to fulfill his economy. This was the second Roman numeral on the first message. And A says, with Noah, we see God the Father in his desire and plan for his building and in his eternal faithfulness in keeping his covenant, his word. And you can see this in Genesis. B says, with Daniel. We see Christ the Son as the centrality and universality of God's move and his second coming as the Son of Man. And these these verses from Daniel I have here show that. Then C says, with Job, we see God the Spirit and his transforming work to carry out what is hidden in God's heart. Remember, Job 10.13 says this. What is hidden in God's heart? that we might gain God to become God in life, in nature, and in appearance, but not in the Godhead for the corporate expression of God. So you can see when we look at these three people, people Noah, Daniel, and Job, we have the key to and the governing principle to interpret why these three names are together. And when you look at the, ministry, the printed ministry, it is very apparent that with Noah, we see God the Father. With, with Daniel, we see Christ the Son. And with Job, we see God the Spirit. And it's all for the triune God dispensing himself into our being for the accomplishment of his economy. Now, um, the overall title again is Patterns of Living an Overcoming Life on the Line of Life to Fulfill The economy of God in the first message I would like to emphasize one more thing and then we'll come to the to the outline is that the Lord Jesus only takes up impossible cases if you feel your case is impossible you you are a you can be a patient of the Lord Jesus he's our physician he doesn't take up cases that aren't impossible Can you imagine if a doctor put a a sign on his clinic and it said, only impossible cases allowed? He would not get much business. But if you look at Luke 18 with this uh, rich young man, he went to the Lord and he said, how can I inherit eternal life? And the Lord said, well, You need to keep the commandments. And he spoke five commandments to him. And this young man said, he said, I've kept these things from my youth. And then the Lord said this. It says, hearing this, Jesus said to him, still you lack one thing. In other words, you've been doing this all uh, according to your own effort. But regardless you still lack one thing. There's one thing, saints, if we are living by our own effort to live the Christian life, there will always be one thing that we just can't get through on because we, are, we have to, the reason the Lord said this to him is so that he would realize that his case also was utterly hopeless and he was utterly helpless. So he left. He went away. And uh, he should have stayed, but he didn't. He left. And the disciples said to the Lord, oh, then the Lord said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Then the disciples said, Lord, then who can be saved? And then in verse 27 of Luke 18, the Lord said the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Saints, our case is impossible, but thank the Lord, uh, it may seem impossible for us to be overcomers, his overcoming bride, but it is absolutely possible with God. Now it's interesting, you go to Luke 19, Verse 2, it says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and it has these words, and he was rich. He was rich just like this young man in Luke 18. Uh, But the Lord was showing in Luke 19, it is possible with God. It is impossible, man, but it is possible with God. So, To be a Christian and an overcomer is not merely difficult, it is impossible. Only the processed and consummated triune God living in us as the all-inclusive spirit can be a Christian and an overcomer. We need to remember this constantly, that we need to contact, we need to exercise our spirit to contact the all-inclusive spirit in our spirit, as the processed and consummated triumph, God, he is the unique, capital O, overcomer in this universe. All right, now let's come in this uh, message to, to Noah. And the title says, Noah, the life and work that can change the age. This is what we want to have. We want to have a life that can change the age and we want to have a work that can change the age. Now, saints, I'd like to quote something from the ministry to me that is quite wonderful, and I'll just say it to you. It says this, Our life is our work, and our work is our move. Our work is our living, and our move is our being. So what these two statements show is what matters the most in our service is our very person. Our life should be our work. Our work should be our living. And our move should be our being. That's the way it was with the Lord Jesus. That's the way it was with the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, we have some verses here from Genesis and Hebrews concerning Noah I would just like to read a few of these verses from Genesis 6. It says, Jehovah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Jehovah repented that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And Jehovah said, I will blot out the man whom I have created from the surface of the ground, from man to beast to creeping things to the birds of heaven, for I repent that I have made them. Then verse 8 is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. It begins with, but Noah. At the bottom, we shared in the last message, when things are at the very bottom in God's eyes, Or in our eyes, there is always a but. B-U-T. But Noah found grace in the sight of Jehovah. Now our translation correctly in the Hebrew uses the word favor, but our brother pointed out that this can also be translated grace. Favor in the New Testament is grace. So we will say that in this way, but Noah found grace in the sight of Jehovah. Now Hebrews eleven seven, seven, um, this is one of our verses here. Let me just mention verses five and six. Verses five and six mention Enoch. Mention Enoch, that's the person who was just before Noah. And it says, before Enoch's translation, in other words, before he was raptured, he walked with God for 300 years. Before his translation, before he was taken up by God, he obtained the testimony that he was well-pleasing to God. Saints, we need to pray. Lord, before I go to be with you, before you return, I want to obtain the testimony that I am well-pleasing to God. Then verse 6 goes on to say, Without faith it is impossible to be well pleasing to God for he who comes forward to God must believe that he is and we've seen in in the past ministry a marvelous de- definition of faith is that faith is to believe that God is and we are not God is the unique one in everything and we are nothing in everything we believe that God is. It's wonderful. Um, Anyway, I'll just say that much on that. You can look in the crystallization study of Romans. There's a number of messages on faith which speak about this. Okay, after verses 5 and 6, in verse 7, it goes on to Noah. You have Enoch, then Noah. says, by faith, Noah. Hebrews 11 talks about a number of people Everything they did was by faith, by believing that God is, and they were not, by believing that God is everything, and they were nothing. And so Noah was divinely instructed concerning things not yet seen. He was moved by pious fear, and because of this, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his house, through which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Now let's come to Roman number one. Roman number one will tell us about Noah's life that changed the age. Roman number two, we'll see Noah's work that changed the age. Roman number one says Noah's life was a life that changed the age. And we have Philippians 1, 19 through 21a here. And I love these verses. Paul says, I know that for me, this will turn out to salvation. What does this? This will turn out to salvation. To Paul, the word this referred to his imprisonment. Whatever situation and environment we're in now is, quote, quote, this. I know that this, Will turn out to salvation. Now we'll see that with Noah there was some there was something great related to salvation that we will talk about. But salvation here in Philippians one nineteen is to be sustained and strengthened to live Christ for His magnification. And again, according to these verses, this is by being filled with a bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now under this A goes on to say, God showed Noah the true situation of the corrupt age in which he lived. And I just read some verses on this. Uh, God had his evaluation of this corrupt situation. This was passed on to Noah. And Matthew 24 says that uh, the days just before the Lord's coming will be just like the days of Noah. So it's very significant. In 2 Timothy 3, it says that in the last days, and I think we all feel, and we should feel, even by what we see in the Scriptures, that the days we are living in are the last days. And in the last days, I will just mention a few things. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Saints, whether the church falls into degradation or whether the church displays Christ's victory is determined by what kind of lovers we are. Now, these verses in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 are not talking about unbelievers. They are talking about the state of believers in the Lord's body in the last day. Now, saints, we need to pray, Lord, save me from being a lover of self. Instead, we should deny ourselves and take Christ as our person and be his lover We need to to pray, Lord, save me from being a lover of money. You know, you don't have to have a lot of money to be a lover of money. But we need to pray, Lord, save me from being a lover of money. I would say this. Who is our real money? Who is our real wealth? Who is our real riches? It's Christ himself. Then it says men will be lovers of pleasure. We need to pray, Lord, save me from being a lover of worldly pleasure. Saints, who is our real pleasure? Who is our real enjoyment? Who is our real entertainment? It is God himself embodied in Christ and realized as the Spirit. Uh, That's why if you look in Psalm 36, verses eight and nine, it says that God will cause us to drink of the river Of his pleasures, so he is our pleasure, and we want to be according to these verses, lover in these last days, lovers of God. Now we come to B. B repeats uh, this verse that's so important. But Noah found favor or grace in the sight of Jehovah, and again this is one of the greatest verses in Genesis, and. Brothers and sisters, this is why every day we need to take the Lord as our life of obedience. Not our obedience. The Lord is our life of obedience. You look in Philippians 2. He was obedient even unto death, and that the death of a cross. That obedience is in the all-inclusive compound spirit in our spirit. So, we have to enjoy the Lord's life of obedience. So in Hebrews 4.16, we need to take his obedience and come forward with boldness to the throne of grace every day that we can receive mercy and find grace for timely help. Saints, to come forward to the throne of grace, actually the throne of grace is the Lord himself. We need to enthrone the Lord in the center of our being every day. We need to say, Lord, I give you the first place in the center of my being today. I give you the first place in my being. I give you the first place in my living. I give you the first place in my serving you. Uh, When we do that, then what happens is grace becomes a throne in us. So even to the extent That Romans 5.21 says that grace reigns. Grace, which is God in Christ as the spirit for our enjoyment, reigns and rules in our being. That's what we want to, to happen. Now, one says, when Satan has done his best to damage the situation, there have always been some who found grace in the eyes of God to become ones who turn the age. We have all these verses from Daniel here, and we will see, uh, we will cover Daniel in the next message. But, uh, and and we talked a little bit about Daniel in the last message, just we gave a snapshot of Noah, Daniel, and Job in the last message. Uh, in that last message, we saw in chapter one that, um, You know, Daniel and his companions, the king wanted them to eat his food, the king's food, which he thought would make them healthy, vibrant. But that food was offered to idols. And so Daniel, it says, he set his heart not to defile himself with the king's choice provision and with the wine that the king drank. So he requested of the leader of the eunuchs that he might not defile him, defile himself. So at that point, you read the context, uh, Daniel, uh, because he was so much one with the triune God, he received, the leader of the eunuchs really respected and cared for Daniel. So Daniel said, And I want to correct this mistake I made in the first message. He said, give us 10 days. In the last message, I said seven days. Actually, 10 days. He said, give us 10 days to eat our diet and see what our situation is. So they did this. After 10 days, Daniel and his companions, it says their countenances appeared better than all the other young men that ate the king's choice provision. So so this is quite marvelous. We need to, this shows that we just need to eat Christ every day. If we eat him, uh, we will be healthy. We will be vibrant. Even I would say we would be glowing, G-L-O-W-I-N-G. We will be glowing. Now in Daniel 9, 23, 10, 11, and ten nineteen. The angelic messenger, first he tells Daniel, Daniel, you are preciousness itself. Then he tells Daniel, Daniel, you are a man of preciousness. You know, saints, we need to have a prayer in our being that if an angelic messenger came to us, that angelic messenger was just giving Daniel a message from God himself. And he was telling Daniel, Daniel, in God's sight, even in our sight, the good angel's sight that didn't rebel, you are a man of preciousness. We need to pray, Lord, make me such a man in God's sight. Well, in 1 Peter 2.7, it tells us that to us who believe is the preciousness. That means Christ himself is our preciousness. In Philippians 3, 7 through 8, You can see, Paul says, I count all things to be lost. All the things that he had attained in his past were a big loss to him. He said, I count all that to be lost on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, on account of whom I have suffered the loss of all things that I may gain Christ, that I may gain Christ. So, Paul had a change in his concept of value. All of us need to have a change in what we value. What Paul valued the most was gaining Christ. And we need, that should be what we value the most. We want to gain Christ. Christ is the very God. So in in every day, we want to gain more of God. In this meeting, We want to gain God as much as possible. You know, i just conclude with this. You know, in Jeremiah 15, verse 19, the Lord tells Jeremiah this. He says, if we bring out the precious, I'm emphasizing the word precious. If we bring out the precious from the worthless, we will be as God's mouth. In other words, when we minister the word, and we all minister the word, according to our portion, our measure, when we're caring for people. We need to bring out the precious from the worthless. Anything other than God himself embodied in Christ and realized as a spirit for our enjoyment is worthless. He is the only precious commodity in the universe, so we always need to bring out the precious from the worthless, and then we will be God's mouth. Now let me go on to 2. 2 says the main purpose of the record of Genesis is not to show the fall, but to show how much God's grace can do for fallen people. Grace is God himself, the presence of God. Saints, I like this. What is grace? Grace is God himself. Grace is the presence of God. I can never forget there were a number of times when Brother Lee would go to the platform and he would would pray this prayer. He would say, Lord, your presence means everything to us in our life and in our work. And of course, that's true. If we have the Lord's presence, we have everything. If we lose the Lord's presence, we lose everything. Because as this point says, Grace is God himself. Grace is the presence of God. And practically speaking, the presence of God is God's smile. When you have God's smile, you have his presence. So grace is God himself, the presence of God enjoyed by us to be everything to us and to do everything in us, through us, and for us. Grace is God coming to us, to be our life supply, our strength, and our everything. And saints, I would encourage you, you know, with all these points that we're uh, putting forth here, uh, just, just pray short prayers over the points. They don't have to be long prayers. You can say, Lord, I want you to be grace to me today. Do everything in me, through me, and for me today. And come to me to be my life supply, my strength, and my everything. You just pray that much, the Lord will answer that prayer. Now in John 1.16, it tells us that we need to be those who receive grace upon grace. That should be our daily life, grace upon grace. Now A says, the enjoyment of the Lord as grace is with those who love him. That's why we need to every day begin your day with saying, Lord Jesus, I love you then you have begun your day with the enjoyment of the Lord as grace. The enjoyment of the Lord as grace is with those who love him. That's Ephesians 6:24. We know that in John 21:15 through17 before this we know that Peter denied the Lord three times, So what did the Lord do? Uh, He was recovering Peter, restoring him to fellowship with him. So he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? That was what the Lord, that is, this is what the Lord wants from us. When it gets right down to the crux of the matter, the Lord is asking us, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you, so if we love the Lord, what is going to happen? The Lord said to him right after Peter said that, He said, "Feed my lambs." Saints, if we love the Lord, the spontaneously the Lord will flow out of us to feed the Lord's lambs. Then He asked the Lord Peter again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, "Lord, you know that I love you, so." The Lord said, shepherd my sheep, shepherd my sheep. And shepherding includes cherishing, which means you make people happy with the Lord's presence, and nourishing, which means you feed them with the Lord's element. He asked Peter one more time, the third time, Simon, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. And now, saints, you know, at the end of our brother's ministry, if I believe if you look in the crystallization study of the Gospel of John, at the end, there is a marvelous title, which I remember, you know, being with Brother Lee when he was giving a lot of these titles. The titles themselves are remarkable. And the title of this particular message was the Apostolic Ministry in cooperation with Christ's heavenly ministry. Well, this is shown in John 21, 15 through 17. What is the Apostolic Ministry? It is to love the Lord, to feed his lambs, to shepherd his sheep, and to feed his sheep. And this is in cooperation with Christ's heavenly ministry. What is Christ's heavenly ministry? According to 1 Peter 2.25, Christ right now, of course, he's in ascension. He's in resurrection. He's in ascension. What is he doing? He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He's caring for the condition of our real person. In Hebrews 13, it shows us what Christ is doing the resurrected and ascended Christ in his heavenly ministry. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. In Revelation 1, 12 through 13, we see Christ walking among the golden lampstand. Lamp, lampstands. He's, he's clothed with a priestly robe. He's girded about at the breast with a golden girdle, not at the loins, but at the breast. The breast signified love. And the golden girdle, girdle is like a belt, the golden girdle signifies divine strength. Now what this means is that Christ is exercising his divine strength with his love to cherish and nourish all the churches on this earth. And he's walking, he's walking in the midst of the golden lampstands. As the son of lamb, son of man, but he has a golden girdle on his breast, which signifies the divine strength and his love. Now, what is he doing with the lampstands? According to the Old Testament, the picture there, the priest always trimmed the wicks of the lampstand and he added the oil to the lampstand. This is what the Lord is doing, even in this conference. I feel like you could always put a sign, uh, well, we don't have a door now because we're doing this by Zoom, but you could put a sign for people to come in, and it could say, come and come in for a trim. Sounds like a barbershop, but it's not to come in for a trim like that. It's to come in for, to trim our wicks. What does that mean? The Lord wants to trim away our worldliness. He wants to trim away our fleshliness. He wants to trim away our living in the self. He wants to trim away everything related to Satan, sin, and death with us. Then he wants to add the oil into the church, into our inner being. And that oil signifies signifies the spirit as the realization of Christ who is the embodiment of God the Father. Now, saints, this is a big point. I love this point. Here is the way to maintain our victory. Do you want to know the way to maintain your victory for the sake of Christ's body and the preparation of his bride? It's very simple. It's this. We need to live a life of morning revival. Every day, have a time in the morning where you truly get revived by the Lord. Don't just go through the motions. You have to tell the Lord in the morning, Lord, I come to you. I want to contact you. I want you to contact me. I want to touch you. I want you to touch me. Lord, I want you to infuse me to the uttermost with all that you are. So we live a life of morning revival. Not only that, we live a life of shepherding, so that we can feed others, to feed others. This is the way to maintain our victory. Now, let's come to B. B says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as the bountiful supply of the triune God is enjoyed by us through the exercise of our human spirit. You know, Galatians 6.18, the last verse of Galatians, Philippians, and Philemon show that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with our spirit. So if we're going to experience the Lord as grace, we have to exercise our spirit. Exercise your spirit to touch the Lord, who actually in himself, he is grace. Uh, you know, 2 Timothy 4.22 These are are Paul's final recorded words. The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Now, if we have this in reality, if we are enjoying the Lord as the one who is with our spirit, we are enjoying him as grace who is with us. This means we have the highest and enjoyment experience of him. So to enjoy The Lord's being with our spirit is to have the presence of grace. When this is lost, the degradation of the church is present. So we need to pray that 2 Timothy 4.22, it becomes our reality. Now, C says, God's word is the word of grace. In Acts 20.32, this is Paul's final time with the elders in Ephesus, He said, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you you, uh, all the riches of what I am as your inheritance. So saints, his word is the word of grace. If you want to enjoy God, you have to get into his word in a spirit of an atmosphere of prayer. Colossians 3.16 says that if we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, spontaneously, we will sing with grace in our hearts to God. Isn't that wonderful? We just sing with grace. Now, Jeremiah 15, 16 says your words were found. You know, sometimes we skip over this first part, but saints, every day, we need to find God's words we need to make new discoveries in the words of God. Oh, I found God's words today. I I read this before. I read this in the past. I can testify that many times, like uh, you know, by the Lord's mercy, we all have different functions. My function was to edit this book, and I was I was there for these meetings. Well, my testimony is that. I could be there for these meetings. I could edit this book. I read this book to Brother Lee, every word. And then I get back into it, and it's as if, where was I? Where was I? These words, you get into them again, and they become the Lord's instant, applicable words to you. You find his words here. And his word And again, the ministry does not replace the Bible. The ministry opens up the riches of the Bible and brings us into the intrinsic significance of the Bible. So we need to find his words. If we do, his word will become to us what? The gladness and joy of our heart. That is grace. Now, D says, we experience the process trying God as the grace of life in meeting with the saints on the ground of oneness. This is our experience. Now, I will just, you can look at these, all of these verses later. I will just uh, point out these verses in Acts. In Acts 4.33, it says, when the church first started meeting, it says, great grace was upon them all. That is wonderful. I just pray that this would be our experience in all the local churches throughout the earth, that when we come together, great grace is upon us all. Now, in Acts eleven twenty three, 23, this is really amazing. Barnabas visited Antioch, and it says when he arrived, he actually saw the grace of God. In other words, the grace of God was visible to Barnabas. Now, what does that mean for Barnabas to see the grace of God? This means that Barnabas saw, uh, the triune God received and enjoyed by the believers and expressed through them in their salvation, in their change in life, in their holy living, and in the gifts they exercised in their meetings. So Barnabas saw, uh, how the triune God was being enjoyed by the saints in Antioch, expressed in their salvation, in their change in life, in their holy living, in the gifts they exercised in their meetings, all of which could be seen by others. This becomes visible grace. We can actually see the grace of God when this grace is operating in us. And Barnabas, in this verse... It tells tells us that he encouraged the saints in Antioch to remain with the Lord with purpose of heart. This means he charged them to be persistently faithful to the Lord, to cleave to the Lord, and to live in close fellowship with the Lord. Now we'll come to E. E says we can experience the Lord as our increasing and all-sufficient grace in the midst of sufferings and trials. Of course, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 indicates this. When Paul had a thorn in the flesh, uh, the Lord did not take away the thorn. He told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. You know, Watchman Nee tells a story about this. We have a little book called The Treasure in Earthen Vessels. I encourage you to buy that and read it. It's a very short booklet. But in that booklet, and I, I forgive me if I can't tell the story verbatim, but this is this is the essence of the story. Brother Nee was asking the Lord to remove something from him, whether it was an illness, something that, that just was impeding him. And he said the Lord showed him a picture kind of of a boat going down a river, and there was a huge, huge boulder coming out into the river, blocking the, the way for the ship to travel down the river. And so the Lord said this to watch me, you know, kind of gave him this picture. And then he said this. He said, Brother Nee, do you want me to remove the boulder or do you want me to increase the level of the water? Immediately, Brother Nee realized that God is not in the bolder removing business. He is in the grace increasing business. So many times when we pass through sufferings and trials, it is the reason is, is so that he can increase the level of our enjoyment of him in our being. Now, as says, we need to labor for the Lord in the power of his grace. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. And uh, let's come to G. G says, we need to be good stewards of the very grace of God. Now, saints, it's interesting, the word economy, like in 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4, tells us that the unique teaching in the New Testament is the teaching of God's economy. The Greek word is oikonomia. This word for steward, stewards in the Greek, is oikonomos, oikonomos. We need to be good oikonomos of the very grace of God. That means we need to be good distributors, dispensers dispensers of the very grace of God. So Ephesians 3.2, Paul tells the saints that he has the stewardship of the grace of God. Now, that word for stewardship there is also oikonomia. When God's economy is committed to us, it becomes our stewardship. And he said, the stewardship of the grace of God was given to me for you. Saints, what does this mean practically? This means that we enjoy the Lord Jesus for the sake of others. The reason why I have to enjoy the Lord every day is for the sake of the saints that I'm caring for, Uh, even for the sake of my family. I have to enjoy the Lord. It's to me for you. Saints, in your life, do not eliminate these words in your experience. To me. If you don't have to me, you cannot have for you. To me is our getting God in Christ as the Spirit dispensed into us for our enjoyment. That's to me. Then that enjoyment of the triune God can flow out through me into others that's for you. Okay, I'll just stop there with these verses. They're quite marvelous. You can look at them later. H says, By the power of grace, the strength of grace, and the life of grace, we can be right with God and with one another. Grace produces righteousness. All these verses show us this. And Romans 5.21, like I said, it says grace reigns through righteousness. Now let's come to C. C says, like his great-grandfather Enoch, Noah walked with God, which was God's divine element transfused and infused into him to be his believing ability. Saints, I I have always loved this so much because when I was an unbeliever, I always wondered how can I have faith? Uh, I just my mind, I just how can people just believe in God or believe in Christ? Well, it's it's not of you, it's God, divine element transfused and infused into you. And that becomes your believing ability. That's why Hebrews charges us to look away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we look away to Jesus, he infuses himself as faith into our being to become our believing ability to believe for us. Okay, now I'll finish this uh, point. It says, as a result... He became heir of God's righteousness and a herald of righteousness as a protest against the evil generation. Noah's righteousness strengthened God's standing to execute his judgment upon that ungodly generation. All right, now uh, let's come to D. D is a great, great point. This is the ark that Noah built is a type of the practical and present Christ as God's salvation. And to build the ark is to build up the practical and present Christ as God's salvation in our experience for the building up of the body of Christ as the corporate Christ. According to Philippians, this is to work out our own salvation. Now, let me just say this much so that you have a full understanding of this. The ark, on the one hand, it signifies Christ himself. On the other hand, we can say that the ark signifies the church. And we know the greatest prophecy in the Bible is Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. But saints, let's come back to this point of the ark signifying Christ himself. Actually, it signifies the practical and present Christ as God's salvation. Now consider this, what was Noah's salvation and his family? Their salvation was the ark. That was their salvation. Saints, our salvation is Christ. So we need to build up the practical and present Christ as God's salvation in our experience. And when we do this, this is for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the second typological aspect of the ark. This is for the building up of the body of Christ as the corporate Christ, and this is to work out our own salvation. So when we build up the practical and present Christ in our experience, for the building up of the body of Christ, We are saved from this perverted and crooked generation and we are saved in a full way Uh, through regeneration, transformation, glorification. We are saved into a new age, into the next age, the age of the millennial kingdom, which will be our reward as Christ's overcoming bride. So saints, every day, build up the practical and present Christ in your experience. If you do this, you will enter in to the very Christ whom you have built up in your experience for the building up of the body of Christ. That will be the building up of the ark. And and if you understand me, I'll use the term this way, you will just be in Christ, in reality, and you will float F-L-O-A-T, float. You will just effortlessly float into the millennial kingdom. Now, under this, it says what I just said. One, to build the ark is to work out our own salvation, which is to build up Christ in our experience for the building up of the body of Christ, the corporate Christ. What Noah worked on and entered into was God's salvation, The ark, you see again, the ark signifies God's salvation. We should have a practical and present Christ into whom we can enter as God's salvation. Since our Christ is not merely a historical Christ, he's not a distant Christ, he is a practical Christ, he is a present Christ, he is a Christ we can enter into That's God's salvation. So 3 says the salvation in Philippians 2.12 is not eternal salvation from God's condemnation and from the lake of fire, but the daily and constant salvation that is Christ as a living person. Although we have eternal salvation, we need further salvation from the crooked and perverted generation. That's why Philippians 2.12 tells us to work out our own salvation. Philippians 2.15 tells us that as children of God, we are in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. We need to be saved from that crooked and perverted generation, how? By holding forth the word of life. To hold forth the word of life means that we present the word of life, we offer the word of life to others by living out Christ. And then it says, among whom you shine as, as luminaries in the world. I like these two words, you shine. Saints, when we're in the world, we should shine. And we can only shine if we allow Christ's word of life to dwell in us in a rich way every day. 4 says, today we are in the passage of God's salvation. We have entered into this passage, and our going through this passage, just like Noah's Ark, is our working out our own salvation. And he says, the more Noah built the ark, the more he passed through God's salvation. And eventually, he entered into what he had worked out. B says, the very Christ whom we are building up in our experience today will become our future salvation. One day, under God's sovereignty, we will enter into the very Christ whom we have built up. Listen to this now. Even today, if we build up Christ in our experience, we will be able to abide in Christ, to dwell in Christ. In other words, if you wake up in the morning and you start, you begin your day by building up Christ in your experience, and throughout the day you do this, you spontaneously have the ability to enter into that very Christ that you've built up. You can abide in Christ, and you can dwell in Christ. Now, under this, it says, one says to build up Christ in our experience, is to love the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? This is, a, this is practical. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you all the time. Talk to him by calling on his name. You know, saints, I'm so burdened for our young people. Those of you who get, get with the young people, you need to help them to talk to the Lord. To talk to the Lord. Abraham, three times it mentions in the scriptures that Abraham was the friend of God. We'll see that Moses was the companion of God. Abraham had such an intimate relationship with God that he could talk to God. We need to learn to talk to God, to have hundreds and hundreds of conversations with God until those conversations become an eternal memorial between us and God. And saints... If we have any problem at all, we just need to tell the Lord. The Lord is right within us, and he is with us face to face. So when anxiety comes, we can say, Oh Lord, this anxiety is yours, it is not mine. I give this anxiety to you because you bear it for me. Listen, you do. You say this. You will spontaneously receive the Lord's element into you, and metabolism will work constantly in you. This is to live Christ. Now, on this next point, I am directly quoting from the ministry. This is a marvelous secret that I'm quoting to you. It says, those who do not know this secret. What secret? The secret of talking to the Lord face-to-face about any problem we have, any anxiety we have, any trouble we have, talk to the Lord by calling on his name. It says this, those who do not know this secret, consider that to live Christ is a difficult thing. Now listen to this. Actually, we just need to practice speaking with the Lord constantly, then spontaneously we will live Christ. What a secret this is. What a secret. Okay, now two says, then we build up Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish the sentence. Talk to him by calling on his name, fellowship with him, living by him, and walking together with him day after day and hour after hour to be a co-walker with God so that we can be a co-worker with God. Now, two says, then we build up Christ in our experience so that we can enter into him as our salvation. Five says, all four chapters of Philippians refer to the all-inclusive living person of Christ as our salvation. I don't know if you have ever considered the book of Philippians like this before, that all four chapters talk about the living person of Christ as our salvation. A says in Philippians one, salvation is to live Christ and magnify Christ in any circumstance. In Philippians two, salvation is to reflect Christ by holding forth the word of life. C says in Philippians three, salvation is the righteousness of God that is God himself embodied in Christ. So in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is out of God and based on faith. That is Christ as our subjective righteousness. Finally, D says in Philippians 4, salvation is Christ himself as the life that is true, dignified, righteous, righteous pure, lovely, well-spoken of, and full of virtue and praise. That is in verse 8 of Philippians 4. Now, in, Rome, in Roman numeral 2, we come to Noah's work. Noah's work was a work that changed, that changed the age. Second Corinthians 6.1, Paul said that he and his co-workers worked together with the triune God. All of our work is to work together with our dear Lord Jesus. And what is his work? His work is to build his church. This is why every day we need to build up the practical and present Christ in our experience to be our salvation for the building up of the church as the body of Christ. Now, under this A says, God gave Noah an all-inclusive revelation, A further revelation, the revelation to build the ark, which was the way that God would terminate the corrupted generation and bring in a new age. Noah built the ark, not according to his own imagination, but absolutely according to God's revelation and divine instructions by faith. You know, in Hebrews 11, 6 and 7, especially in verse 7, It says, by faith, Noah, having been divinely instructed. I like that. Saints, it is such a mercy that you just take the recovery version of the Bible. You read the Bible regularly. You even, you also read the footnotes that open up this Bible, that that are the genuine New Testament ministry that don't replace the Bible, But they open up the Bible, they release the unsearchable riches of Christ in the Bible, they bring you into the intrinsic significance of the Bible, they provide you with divine instructions to build up the church as the body of Christ for for our preparation as the bride of Christ. Okay, now I'll go on under A to 1. One says the ark is a type of Christ, not only the individual Christ, but also the corporate Christ, the church, which is the body of Christ and the new man to consummate in the new Jerusalem. Then two says the building of the ark typifies the building of the corporate Christ with the element of Christ's riches as the building material by those who work together with God. And again, uh this outline and these outlines, there's so much in them. But I'm happy you can have this. Don't just put this on the shelf. You can pray short prayers over over particular points. You can you can have it with you and go back to it. You can say, "Oh, yeah, I remember in that conference, Uh, It talked about what the building of the ark meant in an intrinsic way. You have some memory of it, but you're not able to speak it. You can come back to this outline. You can pray over it. It will become a part of your being. All right, now uh, let's come to three. This building is the working of Christ in the people to build them together by Christ so that they become God's manifestation in the flesh. Now we have Romans eleven thirty-six here, because saints, whenever we do any work together with God, all of our labor needs to, according to Romans eleven thirty-six, it needs to come out from him, it needs to be through him, and it needs to be to him for his glory. In other words, even now, my aspiration is that what I'm speaking to you comes out from the Lord. That means the Lord is the source of what I'm speaking. And whatever, whatever we speak, however we serve, we want it to come out from God according to his perfect will. Not only that, we want it to be through God. That means God in Christ as the Spirit is the very means of what we do. He is the way, our means. He's our life, he's our strength, he's our life supply, and he's our everything for ministering him to others. And what is the result of this? The result of this is that everything we do is to him for his glory, which is his corporate expression. Now, B goes on to say, by building the ark and entering into it, Noah was not only saved from God's judgment on the evil generation through the flood, but was also separated from that generation and ushered into a new age. C says, likewise, by building the church and entering into the church life, we will be saved from God's judgment on today's evil generation through the great tribulation and will be separated from that generation to be ushered into a new age, the age of the millennium. This is, saints, this is why we are here in the Lord's recovery is to become Christ's overcoming bride to bring him back Actually, that bride is God's building. In Genesis 2.22, you can see a picture of that. It says that God opened up Adam's side. He took a rib out of Adam's side, and he built that rib into a woman. That rib signifies the unbreakable resurrection life of Christ. And what is God doing? He is building that very life, which is Christ himself, into our being, and he is building us into a woman. Who is that woman? That woman is the very bride of Christ. Okay, now we'll come to D. D says, the length of the ark was 300 cubits, the width 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. The basic numbers in God's building are three and five. Exodus 27 shows us this, which signify the mingling of the triune God with man through his divine dispensing. Now, he goes on to say, you know, some of these points we we uh, spoke a little bit about in the first message, but they're worth repeating. He says the ark was of three stories, the lower, the second, and the third. Again, like I read from this book, what is the governing principle of interpreting the Bible? What is our beef, you know, quote, quote, beef? Our beef is the triune God, dispensed into his chosen people, to build them up to be the body of Christ, to prepare them to be the bride of Christ, to bring him back so that together they become the new Jerusalem as the great God-man in this universe. So, uh, one says the three sections of the tabernacle signify the depths into which we all must enter, while the three stories of the ark signify the height to which we all must attain. Two says the three stories of the ark signify the triune God. The Spirit brings us to the Son, and the Son brings us to the Father. When we come to the Father, we are in the third story. Saints, you can see this in Luke 15, with a prodigal son. The Spirit, it says the Spirit brings us to the Son. Okay, in Luke 15, the first thing that's mentioned is Christ the Son, as the shepherd leaving the 99 sheep and going after the one which was lost, it says, until he finds it. Saints, the Lord never gives up on anyone. All of us are proof of that. He went after us until he found us. That is Christ the Son's redemption. But if you look at, you look on, it talks about the parable of a woman who had 10 silver coins. And when she loses one silver coin, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, and she seeks carefully, listen to these words, until she finds it. That means she will not stop until she finds it. This is the Lord's seeking sanctification. This is the Spirit's seeking sanctification. Before we received the Lord as our Redeemer and our Savior. The Spirit was seeking us out. He was He was working in our environment. He was seeking us. He was uh, using the Word to uh, illumine us within, to cause us to come to our senses, like that prodigal son. It says he came to himself. And then he realized, I have to return to my Father, And so he did return to his father and the father saw him and he told his servants, he said, bring out quickly the best robe and put it on him. That that best robe signifies Christ as the God satisfying righteousness. Put a ring on his hand, that signifies the sealing spirit. Put sandals on his feet, that signifies the power of God's salvation to save us from this dirty world and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let us eat and be merry. The fattened calf signifies the rich Christ killed on the cross for our enjoyment. So even in Luke 15, you have the seeking sanctification of the Spirit, bringing us to Christ the Son for our redemption and our regeneration, and which ultimately brings us to God the Father and to the house of God the Father, which is the church. And what do we hear in the church? We hear people eating and being merry. That's how our church life should be. People are eating Christ and people are enjoying Christ. Now three says, we need to enter into the deepest and highest intimacy with our triune God so that he can bring us to the third story to show us his mysteries, secrets, and hidden treasures. And you know, I said this in the first session, if you have a three-story condominium or a three-story house and you live on the third story, you will only bring the people who are most intimate with you to that third story so that you can show them your mysteries, secrets, and hidden treasures. Well, you know, these verses uh, tell us how we can be intimate with uh, with God. First Corinthians 2.9 tells us that God has prepared things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, things which is, have not come up in man's heart. God has prepared for those who love him. So we need to love the Lord. First Corinthians 16.22 says that anyone who does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. If we don't love the Lord, we're under a curse. But if we love the Lord, everything, just everything, it's indescribable what's, what's said in 1 Corinthians 2.9, all the unsearchable riches of the triune God, We can enjoy by loving him. 2 Corinthians 2.10 tells us that everything we do should be in the person of Christ. That Greek word for person means faith. We do everything in the face of Christ. In the index of his eyes, Exodus 33.11 tells us that Jehovah spoke to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his companion. We should pray, Lord, make me your companion. I want you to speak with me face to face every day. Now it says, In the ark there was one opening toward the heavens for light. You can in modern terms you can say this is a skylight, but there was one opening on the third floor toward the heavens. You know what this indicates? This indicates that the amount of life you have determines what story you're on. Saints, we need to pray, Lord, bring me into the highest and deepest intimacy with you. I want to be on the third story of the triune God so that I can be under that open window to receive the maximum amount of light from you. Now, it says here in Genesis 6.16, you shall make an opening for light for the ark. One says the Hebrew word for opening has the same root as the word for noon. This means that when we are under the opening, the window, we are in the noontime and are full of light, full of light. Two says, just as there was only one window, one opening in the ark there is only one window one revelation and one vision through one ministry in God's building this is why in acts 26:19 Paul told King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision and what is the heavenly vision if you read Paul's epistles it is very clear that the heavenly vision Is the heavenly vision of God's eternal economy. And this heavenly vision of God's eternal economy is the vision of this age. And it's brought, it's dispensed into us through the ministry of the age. Okay, I will go on. Uh, G says, there was only one door. One entrance into the ark, this one door is Christ. Now, I like Genesis seven sixteen. It says, those who went into the ark, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Now, listen to this. And Jehovah shut the door behind him. Saints, we have entered into Christ, and God has shut the door behind behind us, which means it's too late for you to get out of Christ. God has shut you into Christ. You are now a person in Christ. So one says, Noah's entering into the ark is a type of our entering into Christ. Two says, once we believe into the Lord Jesus, we are shut in by God with no way to get out of him. Now, H says the ark was made of gopher wood, a kind of cypress, a resinous wood that can withstand the attack of water. This is a figure of the crucified Christ who can withstand the waters of death. Under this, 1 says the ark was covered within and without with pitch, a type of the redeeming blood of Christ which covers God's building within and without. One says, the Hebrew word for pitch has the same root as the word for expiation, which means to cover. Noah and his family were saved from the judgment of the flood by the pitch upon the ark, signifying that the believers in Christ are saved from God's judgment by the redeeming blood of Christ. Now listen to two, I love this. Whenever we look at the blood, we have peace. Whenever God looks at the blood, he is satisfied. Whenever Satan looks at the blood, he is unable to attack. Whenever the angels look at the blood, they rejoice. Thank the Lord for the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ. Now Jay says, the water through which Noah passed is a figure of the water of baptism. That's from 1 Peter 3. 20 through 21. One says the pitch on the ark, signifying the blood of Christ, saved Noah from the judgment of the flood, whereas the water of the flood, signifying the water of baptism, not only judged the world, but also separated Noah from the evil age. Two says the water of the flood delivered Noah out of the old manner of life into a new environment. In like manner, the water of baptism delivers us out of the inherited, vain manner of life into a manner of life in resurrection in Christ. Romans 6, 3 through 5 tells us this. In Matthew 28, it tells us, 19, it tells us when we're baptized, we're baptized into the triune God. Galatians 3.27 says we're baptized into Christ. Uh, Here in Romans 6, it tells us that we are baptized into the death of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says that we are baptized into the body of Christ. But saints, we need to share these things with people before they get baptized to make them realize what is happening to them. When they get baptized, they are being baptized into the death of Christ, and as a result, their old manner of life is buried in those waters of baptism, and they are brought into a new environment. What is this new environment? It is a new environment in which they walk in newness of life, which means they are walking in resurrection in Christ. Anyway, that's the significance of Noah, the life and work that can change the age. What a mercy that we can have material like this even to read together. But I encourage you, you can read uh, the life study of Genesis on these points and you'll see a lot more. Anyway, let's stop here and uh, have some sharing, some testimony. Amen, saints.